0: In episode 14 of the Well-Led Schools podcast, I'm joined by Celene Douglas, a Gold Coast-based clinical nutritionist. We chat about all things nutrition, stress, and how it can impact our physical health, and share some practical tips for individuals and educators that can help them to improve their physical well-being. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and wellbeing consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Well-Led Schools podcast. This episode is the first of our Dimensions of Wellbeing series, where I'll be chatting with experts in each area of wellbeing. To kick off the series, we'll be starting with physical wellbeing, where I'm joined by my very good friend and I must say the best clinical nutritionist I know and who I've ever worked with, Selene Douglas. As you'll learn in this episode, Selene faced the same dilemma that Many women do. She faced the symptoms of dysregulated hormones. Now, before you tune out, if you're somebody who hasn't experienced an imbalance of hormones, or even if you're a male, I encourage you to stay tuned into this episode. Selene's background is mostly in women's health, but the majority of this episode is spent talking about our health and nutrition in general. Similarly, I know too that if we work with or lead other women, they may be likely to experience a number of issues that Selene and I discuss, including fertility struggles and hormonal imbalances, as these things just become more and more common, particularly in a high stress profession like teaching. Now here, knowledge and understanding is highly beneficial Throughout Selene's own journey to reclaiming her health, lifestyle changes and good nutrition were necessary to get her body back in balance. And once she was able to get a handle on her physical health, she was so inspired to help others to do the same. Now, if you've been listening to me or following me for a while, you might already know a bit about me and my own journey. But for those who don't, I once struggled with burnout, fertility challenges, and all kinds of physical symptoms that could only be resolved through some serious lifestyle and nutritional changes that I must say have yielded many positive results. Because the truth is it's all connected. Stress, nutrition, and lifestyle directly impact our physical health, and our physical health impacts our mental health, social health, and many other aspects of our well-being. Physical health is truly at the foundation of it all, but of course it's not the only dimension of our well-being that matters. Throughout the episode, you'll learn what it means to have a strong sense of physical well-being, how stress impacts our physical health, and lots of practical tips to help individuals and educators to better manage their health and well-being alongside stress, nutrition and better lifestyle changes that they can explore. All right, that's enough talking from me. Let's dive right in. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships, a 12 month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. I'd like to welcome you to the podcast today, Selene. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat to you. Oh, It's always good chatting to you. You're the health and nutrition guru in my eyes. Oh, you're too kind. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I thought I'd kick off our interview today asking you what's one thing you like to do to look after and support your health and or wellbeing? yeah it's hard to just think
1: about one thing but i I think at the moment especially you know as everyone likes to say the season I'm in at the moment the most important thing I think for me at the moment is just giving myself a little bit of time each day um to myself whether I am able to fit in like going to the gym or just an hour really to kind of like set myself up for the day um is really really important for me at the moment obviously being a new mum um i you know someone needs me kind of 24/7 <laughs> yeah literally 24/7 at the moment so i'm really really enjoying um yeah that that little bit of time in the morning and i i actually don't get it every morning because john and i um, tag team the mornings because we both (laughs) really enjoy having that hour in the morning. So I get about two mornings a week at the moment, um, on my own. And that means that I can, you know, go and do a Pilates class or go to the gym or something like that. And I honestly think I just feel so much better on those two days.
0: Yeah, I think it's so important to connect with who you are as a person versus your job at the time, whether it's in your professional life or being a parent yes. <laughs> or even a partner sometimes. Yeah, definitely,
1: and it's just good to have those bits of time, I think, where you're not, like, giving, you know? <laughs>
0: yes, I 100% agree. And obviously teachers and and those working in schools listening are like, uh-huh, because they have a total myriad of little people or sometimes big people at them all day. So (laughs) they would be getting it. They'd be nodding along. All right. So um, tell us a little bit about what you do, your journey and how you came to support clients with their health and wellbeing. Yep, definitely. So I, um,
1: I, to start with what I do, I'm a nutritionist and I work with clients um, across different reproductive issues, really. So, like PCOS, endometriosis, thyroid, um, they're the main areas. Um, I guess women are experiencing those issues and they come to see us in clinic and it's all online um, since COVID, which has just been amazing because it means that I can connect with women all across Australia. We even have a few clients at the moment in NZ and the US as well, oh, cool. which is amazing. Yeah, it's great to see that people are obviously seeking us out from overseas as well Um and like many health professionals, I think my sort of journey into what I'm doing now started with more of a like a personal issue. And I think that is very sort of cliche and common among nutritionists, naturopaths, and things like that within the health industry. So Uh, I didn't finish school, you know, thinking that I wanted to be a nutritionist or anything like that. Um, I finished school and within four months went off overseas for a couple of years. And, um, in that period of time when I was overseas, I went off the pill and didn't get a period back, but was overseas and kind of didn't really care to be brutally honest. Like, I think I was just super young and you kind of are like, that's in the too hard basket while I'm over here I'll sort of deal with that later. Uh and then I did obviously finally come home back to Australia after 2 years away and when I settled back into Sydney where I was living at the time I finally decided to get a handle on it and I went to see a women's health GP because that just seemed, you know, sort of the norm um what I should do and um I went and saw that doctor, and she sent me away for internal scans and a bunch of different tests. And I thought, great, I'm going to get some answers here, and she's going to have some solutions for me. And when I went back to the follow up appointment, she basically said, Your hormones all look fine. Your internal ultrasound is also fine. There's no issues there. There's, you know, a couple of, um, uh, follicles on the ovary but you know we don't suspect PCOS or anything like that. Um no issues. Best thing for you to do this is super common. We see it all the time. Best thing for you to do is just go back on the pill until you want to have a baby.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that, I know. That is Such the band-aid advice. of all
1: band-aids. <laughs> I know. And you know, working in clinic now, I'd love to say that that advice has changed, but we hear it all the time, which is quite mm. sad. Um that you know there's been a lot of advancements but we are still hearing some variation of that exact story all the time um and basically i left that appointment i did she handed me a script for the pill but you know i didn't feel it because to me it just logically didn't make sense that okay well i am obviously not getting a, an actual period while i'm on the pill if i just keep taking it am i not just like you know, sort of gambling a little bit with waiting to see what happens when I do reach that point where I want to start a family. I was 20 at the time, so that was just not on the horizon for me anytime soon. But I knew that someday, one day, that would be something that I wanted Uh, and I didn't fill the script. I actually went to see a naturopath and that just completely, that was sort of my, you know, cliche turning point catalyst event that really changed things for me. And I started thinking, Hey, there really is something to this whole natural health thing, because within six months of seeing her, I did have a period back. um, And she went into a lot of depth with explaining my results to me and sort of said like, Hey, you know, your results are definitely not fine. It looks as though you're sort of like perimenopausal as a 20 year old with how flat lined your hormones are. Um, and so yeah, that completely changed things. And then I guess that just got me really, really interested in health and women's health, what we can be doing day to day to, um, to fuel ourselves correctly. And then also a lot of the, like the supplements and things like that. I just kind of got so obsessed with it all um through that experience that I decided that that's what I wanted to do so then I just went and did a degree um and then lots of you know additional
0: mentoring and all of that
1: um and here we are like nearly what, you 10, are today the 10 years later yeah
0: <laughs> no and you know there might be some people who are tuning in now going oh periods uh particularly some of our male <laughs> listeners but let me tell you from my experience in working in education, particularly with amongst highly stressed staff, mm. these kind of reproductive issues and women's health issues are something that a number of our staff are, are battling with. And I think back to my last school that I was in on my executive team. Uh, I think about. I would say, two thirds of us had struggled with our fertility. Mm-hmm. Um, and had gone through IVF on the leadership team. And we'll talk a little bit more about um, about stress and burnout later on and the impacts that can have on our health. But, um, yeah, this is something that a number of our te- female teaching staff are really struggling with and um, it's it's important for us to be aware of that.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would say that, you know, not... No. There's there's always outliers for sure, but the vast majority of clients that I'm working with that are going through IVF or have been really struggling to conceive are more often than not those high achievers, mm-hmm. those really A-type, super driven, yeah. Uh, and go 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 <laughs> go go go, don't stop. Um, and and yeah, we we definitely see that. I think correlating mm-hmm. with um, fertility yes. challenges.
0: Yes. And when I tell a story in a school, so many women will come up to me afterwards and say, yeah, I really struggled or I did IVF or I'm really struggling now. Um, So it can be a breath of fresh air to actually hear somebody talking about it and being open to listening as well. Yeah. All right. So our overall wellbeing is a complex combination of up to eight different codependent dimensions. And in this, the last few episodes that I've been running, we've been looking at those eight different dimensions of our wellbeing. So that includes our emotional occupational social spiritual intellectual environmental financial and of course physical well-being and the physical well-being dimension includes all areas of our health that relate to physical aspects of the body so mm-hmm. such as our nutrition exercise lifestyle overall health status substance use and more so celene i'm keen to hear your thoughts how would you describe somebody who has a strong sense of physical well-being
1: I really thought about this question before today's chat. And and I think at the core of it, the very center needs to be that they have a really strong sense of who they are and a really strong sense of actually, it's going to sound corny, but like loving themselves as well, mm-hmm. because we can go into kind of, you know, the what that then correlates to in terms of that kind of like physical manifestation, of course, like eating well, moving your body, getting Mm. enough sleep, all of that. But if you don't have that, you know, strong sense of self and sort of like self-love to begin with, it's going to be very difficult for you to actually apply any of those other um areas if that makes mm. sense because and, and maintain them and maintain yes mm. for sure because sure you might go new year new me you know this is obviously very timely I don't know when this goes out but we're at the start of a new year right now and a lot of people set resolutions and goals and all of this you know that they want to achieve within that physical um well being uh sect I guess of their life mm. which I love um, but a lot of them will drop off within a couple of weeks or a month or so, you know, it gets to February, March, and that's sort of all um, like they have air quotes fallen off the bandwagon. And I don't particularly like that example, but I think everyone, um, you know, has heard that before and can resonate <laughs> with it. Um, so I think it needs to be start, I guess, with that strong sense of self and and self-love because that's going to allow you um, A, to know what you need, but to be able to give it to yourself. And I think a really good example of this is, you know, all of us probably know that drinking alcohol isn't the best thing for our health, particularly in excess. Um, but even a couple of drinks, uh, routinely isn't going to be good for us. We all know that. Right. But if we, and and we might, you know, people do like your dry July or your whatever, and take a period of time off drinking, or sometimes people tell themselves mentally, you know, I'm going to cut down. I know it's not good for me, but when they're in that, um, social setting, they, kind of get that rubber arm where they're just really, really quickly able to kind of like throw away that goal Mm -hmm. or that desire to get off the drinking because, um, you know, it's put in front of them, I guess, as a temptation. And I really think if you went back to having that really strong sense of like, this is who I am and this is what I want. It wouldn't be so easy for you to go That's back right. on that. Does
0: that make sense? Yeah, and it does. And I think you know, oftentimes from my experience with clients and and working in schools, those who you know dabble in drinking is generally to help soothe their nerves or wind down the anxiety or wind down after a big day and, and calm their stress. Whereas if they've developed adequate coping strategies in other areas, which is sort of working on themselves, that mm. isn't that isn't so needed because mm. um, you're not feeling the full effects of your highly stressful day.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, we can apply that
0: not just it doesn't apply to alcohol, but I think
1: even in the, you know, area of nutrition, mm. I think a lot of some people find it really easy to make changes and really easy to maintain that. It doesn't even you know, it's like t- drinking water for them. Like it just doesn't b- phase them at all. Whereas other people, it's like they really have to like white knuckle their way there. Um, and I think, it, yeah, it all stems back to that core of it, it, it. Either there being some issues there with, yeah, how they're coping with stress or um, or a lack of sort of sense of self and who they are.
0: Yeah, and sometimes the healthiest looking people, and I'm thinking that even um, teachers that I've worked with in the past who are really into exercise or really into eating well aren't always fully physically healthy
1: because no. they
0: might be overdoing it or um yeah undereating in certain areas i think I, everyone sort of put me on a pedestal for a number of years think saying she's so healthy but mm. i was totally restrictive and was really unwell mentally and had no self love so yeah. therefore that's when of course my fertility started to deteriorate as well as my mental and emotional health so yeah, yeah it's about being really mindful of the whole person and and not just one aspect of their physical health
1: yeah absolutely and physical health is so much more than just you know how you look for sure Mm. um and there's such a big interplay between each of them of course your physical health affects your mental health and vice versa Mm. um so yeah i think it's it's difficult
0: to sort of boil it down to one thing it is it's so complex now stuff physical health really does require our attention. So school staff in particular. So according to the data that I'm seeing from the staff surveys that I've run in 2022 and now into 2023, an average of around 40% of staff are reporting that they don't feel well physically. And this can be more. So I've seen it up to 55% of staff in one school. Mm -hmm. So that's people saying that they don't feel well physically, which is Alarming. Um, if you think about it, like in a school of 100 staff with 50 of them who feel ick. Every day, who are tired, who feel sluggish, um, that can have a really uh, dramatic impact on their well-being and their ability to perform at work. Mm-hmm. As a clinical nutritionist, Celene, how do you support clients with their physical well-being? They're obviously coming to you because they're struggling or they're looking to tweak in an area. But um, how how do you support them, and even what are some of the common issues that they're coming to you struggling with?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'll start with, I guess, why people come to see us. I think normally there's some kind of tipping point where it's gotten so bad, or there's been a new onset of something or, uh, or they've finally realized that, Hey, there's actually other solutions out there other than maybe what's being offered in the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. Um, and they decide I'm going to explore this further. And so, Obviously, as a nutritionist, we do have a large focus on optimizing the diet. And I'm not going to say the diet because it's what you eat. Like, we are not putting you on diets. I never, I nearly never prescribe food plans or meal plans um, because it's like that. What's that saying? Like, you can teach a man to fish. Um, well, I'm going to butcher that. Basically, <laughs> I don't, I'm, no, I'm just not even going to go there. I don't use meal plans because I think that if then you don't have the meal plan in front of you, you don't know how to eat. I'd rather teach our clients how to eat for them in a way that is sustainable. And not everyone, I don't expect people to eat how I eat. I think that people come in at different stages um, of their, you know, air quote, health journey. um, And we can kind of put them on a spectrum of like good, better, best, right? Mm -hmm. And so if we can just get people eating good whole foods to start with or more whole foods than what they're eating, that's good. And we've made an improvement. Um, and then that goes up on a sliding scale of like best where we're really going deep into like food quality and um, nitty gritty micronutrients and that kind of thing. So what we do, um, I guess, to explain a bit of the process is in that first initial consultation, where getting a really good sense of that client in front of us. So full medical history, really trying to dive a bit deeper into their lifestyle, say, for example, for a busy um, educator, that's going to shape the types of strategies and suggestions that are going to be appropriate for that person versus someone who might work, you know, 3 days a week and have uh, you know, financially they're not constricted by what they're purchasing and that kind of thing. So Absolutely. two very different lifestyles um and that for us is really really important to find out in that initial consultation because it's going to shape what is appropriate and what's not. Um, and then we also find out if they're taking any supplements, or get an idea of their day-to-day nutrition, stress levels, exercise routines. And from that appointment, our goal is really to start implementing some of the foundational changes. So as an example here, like um, if we have clients coming to us who are really fitting into that burnout picture and they might not necessarily be coming to us and saying, I've reached burnout, right? Like they might be coming to us because um, their PMS has gotten so bad or they've developed Hashimoto's or something like that mm-hmm. as an example. Um, but for us, we're really looking at like, well, what is what has got us to this particular point? And um, yeah, if it's something like um, burnout, we're wanting to get an understanding of What exactly is going on for that particular client and really implementing some foundations there? So, if it's things like, you know, looking at how much caffeine they're drinking, what, how often they're in
0: education, trust me.
1: Yeah. Because (laughs) what, what, what I would say would be really, really common in this particular demographic or what I kind of like think of when I, because I've had quite a few um, teachers actually as clients, um, is that often breakfast is missed. There's very little time for food breaks. And that then often leads to like eating chocolates in the staff room, yes. um, surviving off coffees. And then when they do get home in the afternoon, it's like, I'm so stressed and my blood sugar has been all over the place throughout the day. I'm actually just going to inhale the pantry because I can't stop. Mm. Um, and then you know, so tired and kind of like rubbish that maybe you managed to get something in that's reasonable for dinner but probably not and then like the whole cycle starts over again. Yeah. Um, and so we're really trying in that first appointment to like identify kind of all those sorts of factors that are blaringly obvious to us um, that no supplement is going to fix, right? Like we ultimately need to correct those foundational pieces at least um, – concurrently or hopefully before looking at any kind of supplementation and then we'll always try and get blood tests done between your first and second appointment so referring out to a gp um, and that process can be smooth depending on how um, open the gp is to working with nutritionists and naturopaths um, And then your second appointment's really dedicated to unpacking that blood test. And I think for a lot of the more type A types of clients, um, they love this appointment because it's such a great opportunity to provide some, I think, validation to how they're feeling. Um, Mm. It explains a lot, but it also gives them really specific things to work towards. It's less so my nutritionist told me to, you know, eat more of this food and it becomes, okay, my zinc level is this deficient because I don't eat these foods. I need to eat this, you know, X more times per week, and then we're going to remeasure it in X amount of time. So it's, it's a lot more structured, I guess. Um, and kind of like we've got some data points to work with as well. Mm. Um, And then follow-up appointments just really depend on like how we're progressing. So our goal really is to get the foundations in place and then optimise and tweak things from there. And look, some people do need more in-depth testing, like they might require stool testing. Um, Not always, but that's just always on a sort of case-by-case basis.
0: Yeah, and I love that diagnostic approach that you take and it's something that I've done with you Myself um, to be able to pinpoint exactly what it is. And like you said, it is so liberating because for some people who are like, why is it that my energy is so low or why is it that mm. I can't seem to get a handle on my anxiety? Oftentimes it's because, you know, you're iron deficient or B12 deficient. I mean, you, and or you've got a leaky gut and you're not absorbing any of the nutrients that you're eating. It's this really intricate process. But once you have the keys to unlock what's happening, you have a way forward mm. and you almost feel valid in how you've been um, feeling and responding to situations and your overall health um, once you kind of have the answers to all of those questions. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I love it. It's just such a great approach. All right, so I'm pretty keen to know actually with, with little time to take a break, get outside and eat healthy meals throughout the day. Oftentimes school staff really are so exhausted and drained from their days you covered off before to even get a chance to exercise as well. Mm -hmm. Do you have any easy-to-implement tips for busy educators to be able to stay on top of their health, nutritional lifestyle? Um, I
1: think... The, well, I think you'll also have the answers to this as well, because you've actually been, you know, in the trenches doing this yourself for such a long time. But um, I think preparation is super, super important. I think from a nutrition perspective, um, when you live a very full life, you need to have some level of food preparation. Um that you're doing. And for an educator, that's probably going to look like allocating a little time on a Sunday. It doesn't have to be all day and it doesn't mean eating you know, chicken, broccoli and rice every single meal for the week. Um, you can actually make that food really, really exciting. But I think it's important to prioritize a couple of hours on a Sunday where you're organizing your meals for the week and doing a little bit of food prep so those nights or evenings when you get home when you're so exhausted you can actually get something out of the freezer that's going to be really healthy and then maybe all you're doing is like steaming some vegetables to go with it um I think food preparation is really really
0: important and um and from- easy to easy to grab things too. Teachers, yeah, like easy you were to saying, grab to things. take out on the playground, and you don't yeah. have to be in the staff room. You can just eat it at your desk or um, while you're wandering around, calling out to students. <laughs> for sure, for sure, like things like frittatas are a great option.
1: Um, things that you can eat like one-handed, really, and with like just a fork. You don't want to be getting any more complicated or messy than that. Um, but I do think. Preparation goes a long way, like roasting up some veggies, having some cooked rice at home, um, doing like a slow cook, something like that is really, really great. What other suggestions do you have?
0: I think the preparation is key. I think finding little pockets of time to be able to move throughout the day outside is really important. Often we'll stay in our classrooms in our break and, you know, think we have to get things done and maybe we do, but you'll probably be actually more productive later on in the day if you get out for a walk in your break, um, in order to sort of invigorate some energy levels and get some vitamin D or under those sort of fake lights all day, um, which is really no good. Like recharging out in the sunshine for about a 15-minute walk is something that I um, recommend. And even having walking meetings yeah. is such a good idea. Um, to Even leaders with your staff to be able to check in with them. Do you want to come for a walk with me at break time? Or I used to set up regular walks with my people each week um, or even, you know, walking down to grab a coffee, whatever it might be. Uh, and then, as I said, you've got that extra energy later on in the day to be able to get things done. You're you're not actually less productive by taking a break. <laughs>
1: no, no. And I think we need to understand that we can't. It, there's just no possible way that we're going to be productive for every single minute of the day, right? Like mm. you need to actually take those breaks to be mentally refreshed. And able to take on the rest of your day and you're you're no good to anyone when you're exhausted and, you know, not giving your best, your brain's not working as well as it should, you probably don't have the patience that you normally do. Um, and that just bleeds out into all other areas of your life as well.
0: Yeah. The other the other big thing for me is to really develop your sleep hygiene mm. um, to ensure that you get a decent night's sleep. Um, so sort of turning off all of the devices late at night. Um, You know, switching to candlelight or red lights or low lights um, about an hour before bedtime, even reading before bed so that you can uh, get in and get those that solid eight hours. And for some, it's it's longer that you need, Mm. particularly if you're feeling super exhausted and you are somebody who's recognized that you're experiencing or heading towards burnout. Sleep is just fantastic for the immune system. Uh, And, of course, for gut health and our stress levels um, and and our overall physical health, it's so important.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think sleep, the foundational things are really like sleep, making sure that you're actually eating, you know, three meals a day as well. I think super, super common with people that are overachieving and busy is almost like eating is a bit of Mm -hmm. a waste of time. That's kind of like the mindset around it is like, well, if I sit down or, you know, inhaling, which I think, perhaps there are instances where this might be required, but like how efficient are you really at eating and doing your emails at the same time? Like, let's be honest, if you (laughs) just sat down and only ate and then went and did your emails with two hands, a, you're not going to be spreading around like your (laughs) salad dressing all over the computer, (laughs) but B you're actually going to get that email done so much quicker And you're going to digest your food better, which means that you're going to have more access to the nutrients within that food. Um, And that's going to mean that at 3 p.m. you don't get that lull and you don't feel like reaching for the chocolate bar, right, which does happen when we don't have good blood sugar control or we've skipped a meal because we've been so desperate to um, be productive
0: yeah, I think that as you were talking about too, that that food preparation is key, but also having better options for snacks available because yeah. I do remember I'd get to the afternoon and I would want to visit the staff room for the box of favourites that was always on the <laughs> table. But when I had other options available to me in my office drawer, um, then that would be what I would go for. Um, yep. and so that was, I had to constantly keep reevaluating that. Cause I get home and be like, oh my God, I ate 10 tr- crunchy bars. And Matt would be like, what? <laughs> um, and so then in the food prep the next weekend, we would put together, um, some kind of snacks, whether that was, you know, it's a bit hard. We can't have nuts at school, but yep. even just better options for fruit with a healthy fat, um, yep. crackers and hummus, those kind of things. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm interested to know what would you like to see make its way into the school curriculum early to support health, nutrition and or exercise or lifestyle? I think it would be
1: great to actually teach kids about eating real food. I, I think something I I guess I struggle with a little bit is when I am working with clients and, you know, teaching them how to eat because it's almost like you're at, uh, you know, 30 or 40, a lot of these clients are like relearning how to eat real food. And then they'll say, oh yeah, but my kid won't eat that at dinner time. And I understand in a sense that, you know, they've, they've been conditioned to eat, or so, oh, you know, yeah, eat certain foods and develop a certain palate. But it's sometimes mind boggling to me that you know, they're having these revelations and understanding about like what is real food and what is helping my health and what is not helping my health. But that then doesn't cross correlate to, well, yeah. I should be then feeding my children these foods as well. So I think for me, if if we can't um you know, we can't be necessarily making those changes in each individual family. It would be really great to be teaching kids about real food early on um, and and really like creating that differentiation between what is a food-like product and what is a food because I think that's where we've gone so wrong and if that's not changed, I think where we're going to really continue to go wrong with I our know. long-term health.
0: I agree. And-, and just because it's on the food pyramid, sorry, doesn't mean that it is. A whole no. food. <laughs> no, like when I say teaching
1: kids about food, like not definitely not what's on the, um, unfortunately, Australian Guide to Healthy Eating. Mm.
0: Yes. If it's, I always used to say to clients, you really want to aim for things from the land, sea, or sky and not yeah, from the lab. Yeah, that's perfect. That's <laughs> perfect. And like, honestly, if you're picking
1: up a product and reading the ingredient list and you, you can't actually conceptualize what that ingredient is as, you know, something that you would hold in your hand and understand where it's come from and what it is, then it is a food-like product. It's no longer a real food, right?
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And, and that's not just things from the supermarket. We see that in the health food stores as well. Hmm. So um, yeah,
0: Marketing just something is very something's labeled gluten-free and organic doesn't mean that it's good for you. Yes, absolutely, and it's about I think you know what needs to make its way into the curriculum. Yes, is those foundations of um, of good whole food nutrition, but also how to to read labels and discern yeah. um, what's actually on the packaging and how to see through smart marketing. Yeah, and um, just to go back to basics, just always yeah, that same. And
1: I think also like getting kids to develop an understanding of how food makes them feel, right? Because mm. I think this often happens later in life where we start to go, "Hey, maybe I actually feel really sleepy when I eat a bunch of grains." Like I'm, you know, not necessarily saying that we should or shouldn't eat grains by saying this, but often people will say like, "Hey, when I eat that huge bowl of rice, I feel like I need a nap afterwards," or "When I eat that big bowl of lollies at that birthday party, I get stomach cramps after." Like I think we really need to be teaching kids about how food is making them feel and, and really those physical effects that they're noticing versus like, Hey, when I ate that, um, those, you know, sausages and veggies, I felt really good and I had energy and my gut felt really good afterwards. I didn't feel sick. Right. Mm. Um, I think that's super, super important. Yeah. Mindful
0: eating. Mm. Yes. I love it. All right, I want to pivot a little bit now to talk about stress because stress really does have a huge impact on our physical health, just as our physical health has an impact on our stress levels. So according to the data that I've collected in 2022 using those school surveys in, across Australia, what I'm seeing is that an average of around 65% of school staff are reporting feeling stressed, worried or anxious, often to multiple times in their day. In some schools, that's up to close to 80%. And an average of 57% of school staff are reporting burnout or multiple symptoms of burnout. Again, that, that can reach up to around 70% in some schools, but be as little as 26% in others. So it, it's really varied. But again, on average, it's around 57%. So a big challenge. And I know you work with a lot of women, including um, I was one of them once upon a time, Mm -hmm. uh, around um, managing our stress levels and the impacts of stress. So what are some common health challenges that you see in clinics that could be attributed to long-term, chronic or unmanaged stress and burnout? Pretty much all of them. (laughs) Um, You are the stress. You're at the stress clinic. (laughs) Well,
1: you know, I think it's just something that's super prevalent in our, you know, in our lives now. Um, Mm. We're doing all the things. There's a lot of pressure. And I think also... It's it's super multifactorial, right? Like I think that we've got some huge benefits with social media and things like that. But then I also think there's a huge amount of um pressure to, you know, like keep up with the Joneses and that kind of thing. And we've got also like pressure to probably succeed in work and succeed at home and manage our social life and our finances and all the rest of it. So we've we've kind of got it like coming at us from lots of different um angles and to varying degrees, like I think it's um it's not possible for us to ever eliminate stress. And I think that that there's um good reason for that, of course, as well. And, and it can be extremely beneficial. It allows us to perform and get things done and mm-hmm. um and it's not all bad. Like there are some amazing advantages to experiencing that um that stress surge in our body, that cortisol surge. But when it becomes chronic is when it does become an issue. And I think, um, nearly any particular condition, and I'll go through some of them that I would see in clinic could a hundred percent come back to stress. Um, and I'd say, you know, 90% of the time in varying degrees, it does like for some clients that might be like the main thing driving their health issue, but for others, it might be like, okay, there's a lot of other things going on, but we can see that there's this little, um, Sort of contributor here, where there is a bit of a stress issue, right? So I think it's not to say that for everyone this is kind of like the core of what's driving it for them, but I think for yeah, for a lot that that it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so. For example, we have a lot of clients at the moment with PCOS. Um, that particular condition can be driven by adrenal issues. So adrenals being the two little organs um, sitting on top of the kidneys that produce our cortisol and adrenaline. So chronic stress can lead to dysregulated production in our stress hormones and um, And that can cause um, issues with our androgen production, Um, other things that it can cause issues with our thyroid. So, thyroid being the little gland that sits in the base of our neck and basically controls our entire body, um, controls our mood, our weight, our our digestive system, um, as well as a lot of our reproductive hormones. It um, can have huge impacts for fertility as well. And um, when we are stressed, that can really suppress the production of thyroid um, hormones as well as um, increasing our chances of onset of autoimmunity um, being Hashimoto's or Graves disease, other things we would see huge implications with, um, PMS. You know, if you're someone that gets a lot of PMS and you find that it's a lot better when you go on holidays or over the Christmas holidays, like that's a huge red flag that, Mm. um, you know, that nervous system implication for you is huge in what's driving your symptom picture. And that can be caused by, you know, the, um, additional cortisol output, therefore suppressing progesterone, um, which then you know messes with the balance of our estrogen levels. It also impairs liver function. We would also see with stress that it's actually going to increase the liberation of glucose from the liver, which is going to mean that we're more likely to develop insulin resistance. So Obviously, that's linked to PCOS and metabolic syndrome and weight gain and um, all the things, right. Like that can also be a contributor in non-alcoholic fatty liver, which, you know, if you were diagnosed with something like that, you're not going to go, oh, it's at least, you know, probably partially stress related, right. Like, um, It's so multifactorial. And then I think the other ways that are less direct is, you know, when we're stressed, we are probably not going to be eating the best things for us because we're going to be craving more sugar. Maybe we're going to want to take that edge off with alcohol. Yeah, Um, if we haven't been sleeping well. and Yeah, we're not sleeping as well. We um, have more trouble getting to sleep. So maybe we're on our phones more as like a bit of a self-soothing kind of behavior so there's so many different ways that stress affects our health you know it's directly but then it's also really impacting the behaviors that also further exacerbate those things too um, with our digestive system, for example, when we're stressed, that's going to suppress our gastric secretions, which is going to leave our gut more susceptible to developing infections and unmanaged parasites and bacterial overgrowth, which is then going to lead to IBS. Like, again, if you got diagnosed Rashes, with IBS, yes, yeah, psoriasis. <laughs> Um, rosacea <laughs> it sounds all of great this. doesn't so it? <laughs> I'm like you know what isn't caused by stress yeah. right and it's not to say that if you have any of these that stress is the, mm. the thing um, it's probably multifactorial like I nearly never find that it is one thing perhaps yes. it started with one thing um, but usually it's a combination of different factors that gets you um, to that health crisis point
0: yeah, absolutely. And everything links is interlinked and um flows into one another when it comes to our health. For sure. It's like a snowball effect. Yeah. So, what are some of the symptoms of chronic stress that could be red flags if mm-hmm. uh, you know somebody's listening in going, "Oh, maybe that could be me," that might be worth investigating or seeking support from a health practitioner for?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think um some of the more obvious things are like, you know, trouble falling asleep, trouble staying asleep, um, waking up feeling groggy in the morning after a full night of sleep. That is a really, really big one. Yes. Um, the other thing that's huge is disruptions to your circadian rhythm. So that means like I said, maybe you wake up groggy in the morning, but then you get like a second wind of energy in the afternoon, or you experience these weird energy slumps. Um, that is definitely a really, really big red flag. Um that um, there are issues with stress. I would say, you know, based off what I mentioned before, if you're experiencing any of those symptoms or conditions, or really you have any health condition, you need to be considering whether chronic stress could be a factor in that. Um, Another really, really good question to ask yourself is like, I've never been the same since you fill in the blank. I've never been the same since I started that job. I've never been the same since I went into that new role at work. Like Mm. whatever it is, but
0: just really trying to unpack that. Um, And then, yeah, I'm thinking I've never been the same since I um, had a critical incident with a student. There'll be people listening along who've had a traumatic experience with a student, Mm. Um, and then that that begins to be the onset of of stress and unmanaged um, and in that unmanaged situation.
1: Mm, hmm. Yep. Yeah. So that, that's a really important question to ask. Um, but I think the really, really importantly, it's like that energy dysregulation, um, and dysregulation in our sleep wake cycle. That's a really good sign, um, mm-hmm. of chronic stress being an issue. Um, a lot of people notice like quite extreme, either salt or sugar cravings as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, um, the feeling exhausted even though you've come home and crashed is a big Mm. one it's something that i read in the surveys all the time yeah Uh, and people won't necessarily recognize that they have burnout but they'll tick these multiple symptoms of burnout so they've Mm. got they've got the physical ailments. so they've got skin rashes or irritated guts or high blood pressure um they're tired and exhausted all of the time they're uh forgetful and then they're sort of their memory slipping away maybe Mm -hmm. they're becoming easily irritable and they go oh no but i'm not burnt out (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. okay um you might not recognize that you are but you've got multiple symptoms so you could very much be at risk but the thing that I kind of push in schools is you know it's about managing the stress that's really important because as you said stress is a normal part of life and it's kind of um inescapable now in modern day life and in in the teaching profession but it's of course how we practically balance that out and and manage our health as well
1: yeah, and I think as well. I don't know if you, there's. I think there's different personality types as well. Like some people are really yes people to their detriment. Mm. Um, and so that's I all think, teachers. <laughs> yeah, it's also important to like acknowledge those areas mm. as well. I think in where you can actually hopefully yes. start to set boundaries. Yeah, flex mm. that boundary muscle and start saying no to people.
0: Yes. And that, you know, that's probably one of the top strategies that I would suggest when it comes to learning how to balance out our stress. That's something I always say, Um, you know, I live a quite a stressful lifestyle. That's something that in many ways I choose to do. I I think that I enjoy being busy and we don't have to get into why that is, (laughs) but um, I always say, all right, if I've had a particularly stressful day or week, what am I going to do to counteract that and balance it out and activate that parasympathetic nervous system to calm down the sympathetic nervous system with more relaxing and calming activities so that my body goes, all right, yep, things are really busy, but then they're also quite calm at other times too, and she's relaxed and she's safe and then can therefore recover. What are some practical ways um, that listeners can manage their stress from a nutrition um, and even a lifestyle perspective?
1: As in how can they eat to help with their stress level? Both. Both yeah.
0: nutrition and lifestyle. What is something that you, you're recommending, you know, those top tips that you're recommending to your clients?
1: Yeah, I think the this the first and probably the the most important thing to Focus on is macronutrient balance. Um, I find this is something that most people are, are not doing, um, and I think the most important. Meal to begin with, if this is really new to you, is your breakfast. But you can certainly apply it to all meals. I think most people are either skipping breakfast or eating breakfast that are really devoid in protein, um, and that has huge implications in your blood sugar control for the rest of the day, which is actually going to impact your cortisol levels as well, um, and and also your blood glucose. So. Um, what I mean by that macronutrient balance is actually making sure that you get a good mixture of uh, proteins, fiber, and fats with every single meal um, and that is super, super important because it means that you're going to be getting in um, an appropriate amount of micronutrients but it also means you're going to have good blood sugar control, you're going to feel mentally clear, you're not going to feel sluggish and depending on your you know, height, body size, exercise regime, the amounts are going to differ greatly um, but let's just say that would be somewhere between sort of 20 and 40 grams of protein protein. Um, and around two cups of non-starchy veggies. Um, you also want to have around two to four tablespoons of fats with each meal, which most most people are not doing also. Um, and then with your complex carbs, um, depending on exercise and goals and sort of um, what your blood sugar control is like, keeping those to a bit of a smaller portion of around half to one cup. So, um that's pretty different to how most people tend to be eating when they come to see us. And I'd really say that like with breakfast, if someone is even eating breakfast, um, either they're not and they're having like a coffee, which just, we, you know, don't start your day with the coffee, especially if you're someone who is highly strung and feel stressed like that is just the worst thing you can do but then kind of the second worst thing people do is have something like toast or wheat bix and then they have a coffee Mm -hmm. um and honestly you're just putting carbohydrates in your body and then you're drinking something that then stimulates your stress hormones which creates more um blood glucose to be circulated. So you're just driving up your blood glucose um, really drastically. It's just going to come crashing down later. And that's why you get tired. That's why you get the 3 p.m. slump. That's why you crave chocolate bars. Um, That's why you get moody. You get hangry. It's just all comes kind of crashing down later in the day. um, And people don't realize that how they're feeling at 3pm is actually because of what they ate earlier in the day. So I think if we could start with breakfast, it's not necessarily the most important meal of the day. They're all important, but I think it really does set the tone for your day um, and impacts your food choices later in the day as well, right? Because if you have really nice stable blood sugar um, from the get-go in the morning, you're going to be craving foods that are good for you. Um, Whereas if you start your day either with a coffee or like a toast and a coffee, then you are going to be craving more carbohydrates, more sugar, more quick-acting energy, which are never the foods that are good for you.
0: And, I mean, we see this in the children that we teach, to be honest. Yeah. Whether if they haven't eaten breakfast or – if they're coming in on a on a diet of um, processed carbohydrates yep. for breakfast it's cocoa pops or yeah. like kellogg cereal or something yeah yeah yep. so they're either bouncing off the walls or they're falling asleep at the table i know <laughs> um all right so my last couple of questions for you selena is that we see a number of quotes circulating on social media showcasing some really thought provoking or inspiring quotes from thought leaders across the globe and throughout time. If a quote from you were circulating on the topic of health or well-being, what would it say?
1: Uh, I'm going to steal this actually from a client who said it to me the other day, because I really, really, really liked it. And I feel like it's just summarizes everything so well. And she said, your life is only as good as your health, which I think is just so true because When we improve our health, we improve nearly everything. We have a better mood. We have more patience. um, Vitality. We we (laughs) have more vitality, more energy. We want to move our body. We want to eat. like We want to be our best when Mm -hmm. we feel good, when we feel crappy, when we feel fatigued, when we have low energy, we're snappy, we... Um, aren't showing up as our best in our work in our relationships um for other people and we are certainly not what you know we don't have the capacity to give ourselves the best either so I think everything really really starts with um with our health
0: yeah it begins and ends with health I really think all right and is possible all right. And this podcast is aptly titled Well-Led Schools, which is a play on words to reflect those schools who lead with well-being in mind. What is one thing you think schools can do to prioritize health or well-being that would make the biggest difference to their school?
1: Uh, I'm going to say more, stru- I don't know how this would be possible, but more structured. Times for breaks for busy educators because I don't know if it's what it, what sort of happening. I've never you know been a teacher or worked in a school, but um, just from working with clients and even talking to yourself, it just sounds like it's absolutely go 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 all day, and I just don't think that you can get the absolute best out of your people when. The structure is like that.
0: Yeah, the structure is there. Mm. Um, oftentimes it's the extra load that that people have or take on yeah. and it's the boundaries that they don't set. And it's yeah. also we don't have good systems. So there might be, you know, we might overlook. It's particularly hard, I'm thinking, in preschool and kindy because mm. you're always out on the playground Um, with your people but uh, sorry with your students but it's around teams working together to relieve one another to be able to take those breaks yeah to look out for to look out for each other and to be really mindful Um, Mm. and leaders to being mindful of those staff who might not be actually getting their breaks that they Mm. think that that they're meant to because of um, you know, tending to a certain student or, or being out with a group. Um, but yeah, again, it's another boundary thing too. Yeah. stuff sort of continue to work through their breaks and they don't take their legislated 30 minutes a day, yeah. um, which is really important for them to do. Which is why they
1: need someone like you. That's right.
0: <laughs> Come in there and get really bossy. <laughs> and listen, I used to work through my breaks too. But yeah. when I started focusing on my health and well being, I started setting some really strong boundaries and I didn't. And I went and sat with people, I ate good food and my work did not suffer. In fact, it got better. Of course. <laughs> All right. If if the listeners are keen to connect with you, where can they find you, Céline? I am
1: most active on Instagram. So my handle there is Selene Douglas underscore nutrition, my website. Um, you can read more about everything that we do and offer. That's just selenedouglas.com. And I do have a podcast as well myself, which is called Holistic Health Chats. Or if you just search my name, it will also come up.
0: Yes, and I'll link all of those in the show notes as well for people who thank are looking you. for quick access to that. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Selene, today. It's been amazing to hear all of your um, amazing wisdom on all things health and nutrition and lifestyle. You're you're a holistic uh, practitioner, of course. You've got holistic health chat, so it makes sense that you dabble in all of those areas. But so many teachers, educators and leaders listening today could really, and I know really take away a lot from what you were talking about. So thank you again for your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me. Such a oh. pleasure
0: chatting with you. <laughs> See you later. Bye. I want to thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you're keen to get on top of your overall well-being, I recently launched a self-paced online course called a roadmap to better wellbeing. This course takes participants on a journey of understanding stress from a multi-dimensional perspective and will guide them through creating their own pathway to well-being. Throughout the short and easy to digest modules, you'll find videos, short activities and resources with simple strategies that you can incorporate into your personal and professional life, as well as ideas to share and practice with your students. There's even a bonus of a jam-packed recipe book full of healthy meals to make that I've put together for my clients. Learn more and register at adrianhornby.com.au forward slash wellbeing course, or of course, check out the show notes for quick access right now. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adrianhornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach, and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well.